0: Starwalker Studios presents GM Intrusions, the podcast devoted to Numenera and the Strange. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 24 of GM Intrusions, the podcast devoted to Numenera and the Strange. I'm your host Lex Starwalker. Ryan Chaddock is joining me on the show today to talk about his supplements for Numenera, including his newest, Angels and Ashes. So grab your dice and get ready to spend some effort. It's time for a GM Intrusion. GM Intrusions Roundtable Ryan Chaddock is joining me on the show today. He's written several supplements for Numenera, including his newest, "Angels and Ashes." So, welcome to the show, Ryan. Hey, how's it going? It's going great. Thanks for thanks for being on.
1: Very very happy to be here. I,
0: I've I'm really glad that you uh, reached out to me about being on the show because I've I've been meaning to uh, ask you to be on for for quite a while. I just. Uh, never got around to it.
1: <laughs> well, it's funny. Lots of people told me I should reach out to you. <laughs> and I Yeah, I meant to previously with the other books, but I, I guess I'm not very good at promoting myself.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's definitely its own kind of skill set. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I I feel like kind of a beginner. And, it, you know, the role-playing game, game industry is just so weird, too. I mean, where do you advertise, you know?
0: Right, right. Well, why don't we start out um, by just telling a little bit about yourself, in case someone doesn't know who you are, and um, how you got into role-playing games.
1: Sure. Um, so, I apparently am the first person to purchase a license under the limited license for Numenera, um, which allows for third-party developers to create supplements under the Numenera system and copyright. Um, and it's. Uh, a really not very restrictive license. It's really cool, very cheap, fifty bucks, and allows you to put out a book. Um, so I've put out three of those. I've got one that just came out called Angels and Ashes, um, which is sort of an arcane take on nanotechnology, and we can talk about that later if you want. Okay. Um, but uh, so yeah, that's my my third book, and and um, that's that's what I do um, at this point. My background as a role player is, uh, let's see, I started with D&D when I was like 11 or 12 with my friends at school, and, you know, that was um, in the 90s, and I think D&D was kind of waning among our group, and so we moved very quickly into White Wolf once it came out. And so I'm really more, White Wolf is sort of my home, as okay. well as sort of the, the Star Wars role-playing games. With D&D is just something we always played along along the way. But um, when I was in high school, um, I was in theater, and a lot of the theater kids um, were involved in a live-action role-playing game uh, for Vampire in a town nearby. I live in a a valley in in southern Oregon um, that has a town that's really known for theater, has a really, really big theater thing. And so over in that town, there was at the time a massive LARP. And so we joined up with that, and I started... Immediately running my own larp's at like age you know, fifteen or sixteen, I was running two larp's a week and playing in one, and so uh, <laughs> that's really kind of my home base is is sort of vampire and political games, and you know, um, and D anD D has always been sort of like you know something you go home you go back to. It's sort of like sure. a, you know, it really is. Uh, I don't know. Uh, tabletopping is is uh, I, I think different for for a person who's done so much. It's live action, um, so i I think that really has defined me as a as a gamer and as and now as a writer. Where um, I think that I like working with the canvas of Numenera. It seems very much inspired by the theater of the mind roots of D anD d and tabletop role playing in general. Okay, um, and then I like I you know it's very liberating working within someone else's you know, world. Um, and so the things I write are where I, I like referencing existing tropes, you know, referencing Numenera itself, but then saying, okay, well, but here's my take, here's a different way of looking at it. Um, and you know, those aren't necessarily say LARP or vampire inspired, but, uh, although our next book probably will be a bit more. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it, it's very fun to say, okay, well, what if you did, you know, I mean, like with this book we've got out right now, Angels and Ashes, it's, well, okay, so the magic, the equivalent of magic in Numenera is high tech, really, it's, it's presented, you know, as through the nanotechnology that exists well, let's take it a step further and, you know, what if we had a more Vancean-type sort of casting magic system to lay on top of Numenera? Because I had a few friends who wanted that, but didn't feel like the nano really brought that for them. And so I started developing these ideas about how I would go about doing that. And so that this book is, you know, it's my take on Numenera as, you know, what if we did call back to the arcane style, you know, the, the real wizardy uh, tropes of, uh, of fantasy because that's what, you know, Numenera does is it references, um, it has a lot of references to fantasy, but then has its own special technological take. And that's what yeah. I love about it.
0: So I'm curious, uh, what, what white, white wolf games did you play and and did you have a favorite?
1: Uh, I'm, I'm vampire, uh, okay. so much. We played a lot of mage when I was a kid. And so I'm really excited about the, the, May 20th anniversary Kickstarter right now. Um, but, boy, I you know, Dark Ages... Eventually, <sighs> Dark Ages became really my game, oh, okay. which is kind of weird. I never thought it would be. Um, you know, growing up, I, I didn't have an interest in history. But as I've gotten older, boy, I all I care about is making that setting, is going in and doing all the research. And, uh, you know, I've done a, a Caribbean, you know, piratical... Um, vampire game. I've done one set in, you know, Middle Ages, uh, 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 England during the peasant revolts. I've done one during uh, Florentine, you know, Renaissance. There's all of these great settings. Uh, so much fun. Requiem and Masquerade. Uh, Very I just, cool. Something about casting these, like, uh, you know, plotting, political, magical creatures in. What is already a very vivid and strange world, which is, you know, I mean, history is just full of weird circumstances. And I I, there's something I love about it, about marrying two things that I I guess I'm I just love juxtaposition, you know. Yeah. I love taking two just kind of different things and seeing what happens when you blend them together. And that's that's a lot of what I'm writing.
0: Well, Vampire was the, the White Wolf game I ran the most after Changeling. And, and I did some Dark Ages, too. And I remember I bought all these CDs of actual, like, I think it was 14th century music. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh. I went all out.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's funny. I mean, I the Dark Ages introduced me to different kinds of music, too. I mean, you know, you, just, you usually start with Gregorian chants. But, I mean, like, yeah. like I'm a real fan of Paganini now. I mean, there's just such... I, that's the amazing thing about games sometimes is that they lead you down these paths in your whole life where you, you know, I, I know so much about, you know, Tortuga and piracy now. Yeah, like, I know so much more about, uh, you know, Renaissance era and onward music and things like that. You know, and even if I don't remember every name or date or event, uh, you still get this like much broader perspective on the world that comes from, I mean, you know, this passion we have for, you know, having more detail for these games to, you know, to work right and to feel right.
0: Absolutely. I I had a friend in high school that had the, uh, the, the, um, the LARP rules for vampire. And I remember flipping through that and thinking that was really cool, but I've, I've never actually done a live action game. We, we probably would have been arrested
1: (laughs) That's how we felt. Uh, um, <laughs> playing out in the in the middle of town in a tourist town, you know. Yeah. Um. And this is being, you know, back when people dressed up goth and all sure. uh, those kids were smoking cloves and wearing leather jackets and stuff, you know.
0: <laughs> that that was me actually. I was one uh, of yeah. those clove smoking, leather wearing guys way back when. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you would, yeah, you would have gone great with these guys. Uh, you know, and that's. <laughs> We obviously moved out of that. But a bit of vampire is still around. You know, we still run the same troop I joined when I was sixteen is still around today. I mean, that's wow. you know, I'm 33, <laughs> so <laughs> we're still running it. Um, you know, uh, yeah. I mean, it's a you know, just to touch on LARP. I mean, it's such a different way of playing. It's uh, you know, it's it's almost like you know, because one of the benefits is that. You know that magic when you first play, that first time you play, and you almost can't get to sleep thinking about all the things you could have said or done, all the things you're going to do, and the cool (laughs) powers that you're going to get the next level, and stuff like that. LARP is like that, except things you were going to say to people who are real. And it's, so it's like the first day of school, you know? I mean, it's so magical, the first couple of times you played LARP. It's emotional. I've seen people cry. You know, I mean, uh, uh, it's, it's just it's a transformative thing to kind of realize that you can play these games and feel like they're real because you're actually interacting with people instead of, you know, the GM arbitrarily deciding how successful you are or letting right. the dice fall, where it's really your actual self. And then you have to get over, you know, your own problems, social problems, things like that. It's amazing.
0: Yeah, see, so you're making me all nostalgic for my White Wolf days now because <laughs> I, I never LARPed, but I was pretty hardcore into the role-playing. So I had all these props, and, and I had a rule when you walked in the door, you were in character until you walked out the door. And Yeah, that's hardcore. And and we would play sometimes in coffee shops, just do role-playing in character. and but So I guess that was almost LARPing, but not it quite is, all yeah. the way.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think the difference is, you know, if – with Vampire, for instance, oftentimes all of the important people in the city are players, right? Yeah. So there's a feeling of that you're up against a more, a slightly more fair situation, which is ironic for Vampire, which is all about the odds being stacked up against new people. Right. But, and which we run into that problem a lot. But it's, you know, you feel like when you accomplish something that you really actually accomplished it, you know, and that's, there's you know, it can take a week to get over that, where you're just, oh, you can't stop thinking about that moment, you know, or months. I mean, I have role-playing experiences, you know, just like at any given table game, right? Um, I have a lot of role-playing experiences from LARP where it's just we will never forget that thing that somebody said that one time. I mean, it's just, like, so dramatic and important, you know?
0: Absolutely. Um, I, something you said, you, you mentioned um, occasionally getting back to D&D, and my uh wife and i are getting ready to move across country here in a couple months so we're in that process of getting rid of as much stuff as we can and and i have this this huge mass of pathfinder books and she was asking me if i'm going to you know try to sell them or something cuz i never play pathfinder anymore and i was like well you know sometimes i just Need to play D and D again because it's the first game I played. Oh and yeah, yeah. I just got to go back and run a D and D campaign, and so it's, no, I'm not yeah. selling my books.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean these things feel like home. You know, I, <laughs> I. It's kind of, it's like. Did you ever read the Dragonlance novels? Oh Dragonlance yeah, yeah, totally. You know when, when they're always hearkening back to Solace, the city of Solace. To me, D and D is Solace. It's the you know it. It's not perfect but in your mind it is right (laughs) when you're thinking back yeah you know there's you know it's this like beautifully you know detailed tree-filled homey place with great smells and people and joy and everything was perfect but really i mean the reason why it's so cool is that it's or we, we think of it that way is that that was an escape back then you know for me In the hardest points in my life, my escape was getting together with my friends and playing this game. So, I don't know. I think it's more nostalgia than anything. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So it's hard for us to go back sometimes, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah. I I, sometimes I wonder if I did go back, if I might be better off just going back to like second edition instead of Pathfinder and just running my my bastardized version of it I used to run way back when.
1: (laughs) Right. I mean, there's so many. uh, You know. there's a big movement for throwback games, you know. I, I think 2nd Ed, that was what I was introduced to, you know. I think 2nd Ed, if you fixed Thaco and yeah. threw out all the class, you know, restrictions, it would yeah. be a fun game. I Again, you know, I would have fun playing that. Yeah. Um. I, I like playing other games, though. I'm happy to, you know, <laughs> do move on a little bit for now. But, you know, I, I still can't throw away those books. That would be insane.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm this is kind of off topic, I guess, but I'm just curious if you've played um, I think you mentioned Requiem, uh, what you think of the new white wolf game since the reboot or whatever you'd call it. I have not paid any attention to any of that.
1: <laughs> so do you mean the newest, newest stuff that they've just come out with, or Requiem itself, like sort of the new wad?
0: Oh, there's there's another new one yet. Oh my god! Yeah, gosh. they're
1: they're moving even <laughs> they moved <it> even <laughs> further down, and I haven't read everything, but yeah, they're they're still mo- chugging along over there. At I mean, it's Onyx Path now, not White Wolf, but for the most part, I mean, sort of. But okay. uh, so uh, Requiem, I I've, I've played a fair amount of. Um, cause I, it was actually a while ago they introduced it. You know, um, uh, I think it's good. It, so there's a big difference, you know, between Masquerade and, and Requiem, and that is that Masquerade is a very fleshed out, you know, has a very fleshed out timeline and metaplot, has a lot of, of iconic characters, mm-hmm. but it has the flavor of sort of like a superhero game sometimes. I mean, it's not really horror, right. whereas Requiem is scary and depressing. And so it's very evocative, but at the same time, some people can't handle it. It's just a little bit too strong for them. Okay. Um, so I find, I mean, like, it's, it's a very polarizing transition between those two. I find that I, I have to be in the right mood to play Requiem. You know, I mean, it can really depress me, depress me and, uh, or, you know, I mean, the characters don't feel like heroes, you know, whereas a masquerade character strangely could. Um, So, I mean, it's, it's a very divisive, uh, you know, line between the two. And I think that's really cool that the games feel different. I mean, they should. It shouldn't just be a mechanical change when you, when you write a new system. I think there should be thematic changes. And I think they, those writers are better at evoking horror now than they were, um, with Masquerade. But Masquerades, I mean, that's, you know, that's sort of my, my go to game, uh, you know, and I uh, for a long time it was at least um, just sort of the the specialty game for me. So I still love it, I, and I'll Requiem can never replace it for me. You
0: know. So did they change the system, or is the system the same? The D10 uh, system. Well,
1: so um, the new one, and you should know it's not that new. The, the new World of <laughs> it's like ten years old. Wow, I'm uh, feeling old now. <laughs> <laughs> um it's uh so it's based vaguely on the sort of the stuff they introduced with um aeon trinity and um aberrant where um successes are not rolled based on a difficulty that's set for the die and then also a difficulty for the number of successes it's just everything is eight or higher is a success on the die roll so it's a very very different like the probability distribution is different it's a lot less difficult for gms and then they built the whole or storytellers and then they built the whole system around that. And so it's a better a lot of people think it's a better core mechanic. Okay. It, it plays faster. There's less roles in combat.
0: Very cool. Very cool. I know um I, I ran some pretty high powered vampire games in um where people were uh low enough generation where they could have stats above five, and um some of those dice pools just got ridiculous after a while. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah oh yeah i you know you still can get pretty high die pools in um in requiem um and sometimes more because you'll add you know for a discipline role you'll add your discipline level <laughs> so oh, wow. you know, it's a much higher scale um but yeah i know exactly what you're talking about playing so many dark ages games uh boy man i've run an anthony Luvian's game you know
0: <laughs> oh wow that, <laughs> that is crazy
1: <laughs> i've tried just about everything with vampire
0: so um we were talking a little bit about the show, um, and, and I think you'd like to mention a little bit about the RPG industry and how it's changed since you started playing or getting involved.
1: Sure. I mean, it sounds like you know, you and I are probably about the same generation, you know,
0: yeah, it sounds like into
1: it. it. I mean, even until very recently, right, there's just been a few big companies,
0: sure, yeah, really
1: dominating things. And I think that the, the open gaming license. Uh, the open game license for for uh, Watsy was really changed things up a lot um, in terms of allowing new people into the industry um, and and those of us who want to do independent sort of press stuff. but what has really changed things is you know the viability of digital. I mean my books I haven't yet put even done as print on demand, which is, The fact that that is available is amazing too, but I mean, um, you know, being able to, with very little, um, you know, uh, seed capital put together uh, essentially a business writing role-playing games is something available to almost anyone, you know, uh, at this point, that's incredible. And Numenera in particular allows this. I mean, I essentially just ride the coattails of, you know, the amazing career that Monty, Monty cook has made, mm-hmm. you know, and, and everybody involved there. I mean, all, you know, legendary people, um, you know, created this great game and did this Kickstarter and promoted it. And now I get to swoop in and pay 50 bucks to get to write a supplement. Um, and nobody says whether my supplements idea is good or not. And yeah, <laughs> I get to just put it out there, you know, I, that's amazing. And, um, you know, so the license allows me to do it. The technologies we have now with home publishing allows me to do it. Um, you know, I'm not even that high tech with what I'm using for layout. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, we're able to just throw this thing together based on our ideas and our play tests and, you know as essentially gamers putting putting out supplements I think that it's almost like a resurgence of back when they did uh, you know this pamphlet stuff this sort of pirate type stuff for early d and d you know mm-hmm. where third parties were coming in and just kind of doing their own thing um, and I don't think we'd be as you know we're obviously not as illegal as that but the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know it's like that where anybody could be doing this stuff you know and for me it's it's crazy because I you know, I'm using for most of my art, I'm doing photo manipulations that I do myself to, um, photographs that are, or pictures that are creative commons licensed. Okay. So that means, you know, in this last book, uh, we probably had 40, 50 pieces of art in the new book and I didn't pay for them. You know, I just put, I put time and effort into making them into something beyond just a stock photo. Sure. Um, and But for me, as someone who never thought of himself as an artist, um, although I have artists in my family, and so I've always kind of wanted to be an artist, and I've practiced a lot of skills that have got, to me, got me to this point where I can do those manipulations, um, that's incredible. I mean, you know, and, and how different is it from all of those other people out there, you know, the, the sort of, um, you know, the industry leaders, the people who have been there for a decade or more, especially – they never. It's not like they were doing the art for their books and doing necessarily the layout. Um, so I mean, I think that I and other people jumping in now are in a very different position where it's it's easier to get in, and yet we have to be these jack of all trades. Um, you know, develop very different skills, like the, the the skill of finding Creative Commons images that are good for fantasy. I mean, that's what a strange skill that I have to have now, right? Because right. of the style of publishing I'm doing, um, that's that's crazy. Um, and so I think this 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 world is really changing. Um, but you know, at this point, uh, you know, I'm quitting my job in about two months. And congratulations! Think, yeah,
0: <laughs> I'm so jealous.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. You know, I mean, we're not getting rich off this but um it's going to be enough that you know because my my wife and i are moving at the end of the summer and so i'm going to spend the summer you know producing more stuff and getting ready um you know it sounds like they might have a uh, a limited license for the strange and so we want to be ready with some okay. books to publish and you know just put out as much as we can and and see what happens um but i you know this kind of opportunity you know didn't exist 10 years ago, five years ago, even necessarily, where you could just be someone who's willing to, I'm willing to drop my job and just write and, and actually make money doing it, making role-playing games. I mean, that would, you know, it's been my dream my whole life. It's really cool.
0: Very cool. Well, well, that's something I'm hoping to explore myself in the next year. I hope. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. So yeah, I'm, I'm going to be making some changes to hopefully have some more time for my creative endeavors and, yeah, maybe see if I can write something. Yeah, worth it's reading. a blast, and the,
1: you know, <laughs> <laughs> it really is cool. Getting, I mean, you know, um, seeing people write blog posts about running my adventures that I've run myself—you know—that's that, incredible. Yeah, like really incredible. Um, that feeling, I—I I can't even express it. Um, it's almost unbelievable. I mean, like our first book, Celestial Wisdom. Has sold over 700 copies now. Wow. I, I can't even imagine. Like, you know, I, to think that somebody, like, stuff I typed onto a computer, 700 people might be out there or more out there playing that. That's like, that's crazy, you know? I mean, six months ago, I wasn't even a, a writer. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, yeah, that's, that's amazing. It makes me really wonder how many people are playing Numenera. Because you got to figure that's, you know, a relatively small portion of the total number of players out there that that you know went went to the effort to find your book and buy it, right? Maybe well, only GMs. I don't know.
1: Yeah, it's hard to say. I, I actually get contacted by players more often than GMs. Okay, saying that um, usually it's because of I have a focus in there called Resurrects Dead Gods.
0: Oh, cool. Which
1: is about um, you know finding these powerful AIs that are not connected to the data sphere, but will do anything to get onto it so they can be a god again. And uh, players are often very, very excited about that. <laughs> and I have some poetry in there that relates to it. And so I think the whole thing is built up enough that they, boy, they get excited um, and talk their GMs into it and, and things like that.
0: Very cool. And Celestial Wisdom, that's the one about the data sphere, right?
1: Yeah, it's, it's sort of like... A cross between, like I always say, it's like a, a cyberpunk divine magic book. <laughs> it's sort of, uh, you know, it's a it's a cross between um, a supplement that's about the internet and technology and robots, and a supplement that's about, um, you know, divine casters, clerics, gods, pantheons, things like that.
0: Very so cool. it has a,
1: a pantheon of artificial intelligences and computer viruses and beings from another dimension and things like that
0: yeah well um i i've been in this weird place uh where i i was very careful actually not to read much fan created stuff because i wanted to get like my own grasp of my own ninth world setting and and what i wanted to do with it first Uh Um, but I'm, I feel like I've got that grasp now and, and that book has, has been at the top of my list of ones I want to check out since it came out. So I think, I think now is the time that I'm going to finally start reading all this stuff. (laughs)
1: That's cool. Yeah. I mean, we've really had a, I had a very strange response from it where it's almost like people really. Didn't expect that to come out of it, you know. And it's, it, I, you know, for me, Numenera is a setting that it inspires me mm-hmm. constantly. I get so many crazy ideas out of it that I never had with other with with fantasy settings or sci fi settings. You know, that combination of being, you know, of of deriving fantasy tropes from pushing science further and further. That I, it it never ends for me with ideas. The idea that you know celestial wisdom would be unusual is strange to me but but for some reason a lot of people seem to think it's um it's sort of different um and that was what we were trying to do with this new book angels and ashes is is really you know take the peanut butter and take the chocolate and meld them together and put them together and and see what kind of crazy flavors you get you know so (laughs) i mean like For instance, um, we've got a focus that's essentially counterspelling and and dispellation and it involves uh, inciting wars between the nanites against each other, so that, you know, they kill each other off, and then there's no nanites to work the magic in the area. So, you know, that has all kinds of consequences. It's very different from a a traditional fantasy idea of dispellation, right? I mean, you suddenly have all of the dead bodies of all those nanites floating around as ash, essentially, and you know, you've got uh, the, the fact that you now that's what you do people know that's what you do, and so you're kind of a dangerous, scary person you destroy magic itself the vector from which, you know, magic comes from, or whatever. That's a very different place in society than you know, or among other sort of magically inclined people, than just someone who casts dispel magic in a D&D setting so, you know, with all of these things, you know, taking things to their more scientific limit along with, or, or implications along with the sort of arcane tropes is really what we have focused on and it's it's really led us down bizarre paths and I, I'm i really excited and proud of what we've done.
0: So what was it, you think, about celestial wisdom that surprised people or, or that they were not expecting?
1: I'm not really sure. It's kind of funny. I, my wife and I just went over... We we flipped through Celestial Wisdom once again, um, you know. We were looking something up, I think, and and looking at it again. And, and first of all, it's kind of striking because the art is not really at the same level as my our last book. Um, you know, it, it's amazing what you know five months difference makes. But um, uh, it's a it's a very dark book compared to Numenera. Um, it's really sort of my take on Numenera. And so it's very, it's very divergent. And I think that's a little shocking for people. But then on top of that, I think the idea of uh, oftentimes what people said was Numenera was sort of missing a divine element for them. Mm-hmm. Um, it was missing these, you know, I they, I think for certain people, they want fantasy to have gods. Um, and they can be a pantheon, or they can be these like separate unknowable beings. But they just need something there to uh, be the directors of certain plots, or just to know they're there. Um, and so I think that that's what people needed, and they and they they really responded to finally getting it and having a sci-fi explanation for it. That was interesting.
0: Very cool. That that's actually one of the things I I liked about Numenera. <laughs> With the absence <laughs> nope, of gods. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: No, and I I think that that's valid. I mean, I, and certainly even with our new book, I mean, I, especially with our new book, really, really um, I think that people can really take it or leave it, and that's cool. I mean, it, you know, these are very divergent things. Um, I mean, I, I've really seen my role as being, you know, as someone who's publishing third party, is doing the things that it would be silly for Money Cook Games to do. You know, they Mm -hmm. really shouldn't be going off in these really deep rabbit holes. You know, they're sure because they definitely have sort of a teach a person to fish mentality, right? Of of designing things, and I think that's very noble, Uh, and I love it. I love that about Numenera, Um, and you know, it really focuses on you know rules over rulings, or pardon me, rulings over rules. And uh, you know, I love that. But for me, and I always tell my friends this, you know. Sometimes, you you know, it makes sense to go to the grocery store and buy all the stuff and come home and make yourself a dinner. And sometimes it makes more sense to go out to a restaurant and have them make you a dinner. And it costs a lot more to do that, but it still makes a lot more sense. And I want to be the restaurant of, uh, you know, Numenera or whatever I'm writing for. Um, I want to be this, well, you know, (laughs) I could, you know, you could sit down and write out a pantheon of digital gods or you could write out an arcane system. But maybe you don't have time for that, so I'm here for you, and I can go down that rabbit hole if you if you want to go that way. But Numenera itself doesn't make sense to have all of these these things necessarily designed out for it, you know, at least from Money Cook Games' perspective.
0: Yeah. Okay. So I'm I'm gonna ask you a question out of left field that um, I'm wondering as someone who might want to create content of my own someday. Um, how much do you worry about uh, Monte Cook Games in the future? Like, like say for instance a data sphere when, when they flesh that out more how much do you worry about that conflicting with w- what you've already done or or do you even worry about that?
1: I think that's a really good question I did worry about it when I first started um, you know but I went through the, the core book I remember for the data sphere you know I, I went through the core book and I did a search for the word data sphere and it came up actually less times than you'd think I mean it's like Maybe four times. Okay. So I was like, okay, clearly this is not <laughs> I'm not <laughs> stepping on a big fleshed out thing. Um certainly I consider that a lot when I'm thinking about regions. Um you know, I don't want to be like, okay, this is the you know, Droalis region. <laughs> and fully flesh out that when they're they've got their world book coming right and they'll be fleshing some things out and I don't know whether they're gonna do you know the steadfast or whatever um but on the other hand you know Monica games has said that they really enjoy being a very small company that can be very agile in the way that they produce games where mm-hmm. you know where other people will have to you know think six or eight months ahead of time they can think two months ahead of time. And so that implies to me that they, and they've said this, essentially they can look at what's going on, what people are saying on forums, what's being produced by third-party content makers, and customize what they're making to what's being needed, what's already done, things like that. So it's not like they, you know, I mean, they know I exist. Uh, (laughs) They know I put out a supplement on the data sphere. So I find it unlikely they're going to make a whole supplement on the data sphere, right? But they might include a section in, you know, Sir Arthur's Guide. And we'll see where that goes. Um, you know, I—it's not as though I'm, you know, stepping on the canon. Uh, ironically, though, I mean, the way the license works is they're licensing the copyright to me. So, in a sense, you know, from a canon perspective, maybe I am altering the canon. I don't know. I think it really depends on your perspective. Yeah. But I, I mostly see our books as being optional you know, an interesting thing that you could throw into the game. So conflict is less likely, you know?
0: Well, and the nice thing, um, like you called it, they're kind of teach a man to fish philosophy. You know, even if they did put out something about the Dave Sphere, there's a real good chance that there wouldn't be anything that would directly conflict because a lot of times they don't give us black and white. Well, this is how it is and this is how it works. They just kind of give you some, some ideas, um, but they don't necessarily define a whole lot. So,
1: right, and and that's even been my perspective too. Where I'm even even when I'm embellishing, it's like, well, you know, here's ten data sphere entities that exist. They've already implied that some of these kinds of entities might exist. So all I'm giving you is ten examples of them. Now they have an interaction that implies maybe they form a pantheon or maybe they don't. You know, it's kind of up to you how you want to do it. Mm -hmm. You could add your own, or you could say only one of them exists. Whatever you want to do. It's not. So for me, at least the way that I write, you could give or take whatever you want. Um, The same goes for the mysteries, which are sort of the equivalent of the Schools of Magic in our uh, Angels and Nationalists supplement. I mean, you know, I put in my ideas about how to integrate the Fae, you know, a fairy-type theme. You know, it has two foci and and has fairies, and, you know, you get charms that relate to making people, you know, trip and fall. Like, (laughs) that's a theme that most players don't, you know, most GMs probably not going to find, you know, perfectly fits into their their conception of the ninth world. But you know, it's there if you want it. If you want to call back to that theme of fantasy, you you can do that. So, I'm just here to provide that. You know, just a couple extra pages in the book. But people can ignore it if they want.
0: Yeah, and and once the strain is strange is out, you know, all those things could be great for recursions and whatnot too. Even if you don't use it for numenera.
1: Well, yeah, and I mean, people have started to say that, you know, because I wrote a, a, like a 20-something page supplement of, you know, conversion for Star Wars, which is obviously not published, but I, I put it out there um, for running, using the Numenauer system for Star Wars. And people have already started talking to me about using it as a strange recursion. Um, I don't know if it's for their playtests or just their home games already <laughs> that they're playing. <laughs> it hasn't even come out yet. Um, but yeah, so uh, that's... I people seem really excited by that, by the fact that Numenera and the strange fit so well together. So anything you write for one, you can do for the other. Yeah. Um, I think it's a beautiful thing, honestly. Um, the strange is just amazing. Um, so I, I guess that's probably as much as I can say without, (laughs) (laughs) uh, breaking the, (laughs) breaking the, uh, the non-disclosure agreement, but yeah.
0: Well, it's very reminiscent to me of, of the old, World of Darkness games because there you had all these different games with a unified system so you could kind of mix and match them as you wanted and it kind of seems like that's the direction that that Monty Cook's going with the Cypher games Um, I'm assuming there will be more than the two we currently know about but time will tell
1: (laughs) yeah I'm interested to see Um, yeah but I think that you know I always had a problem with too much crossover in White Wolf, right? Yeah. Where (laughs) And not just, I mean, the the typical gripe is that it's crack, is what they would, you know, that it's too powerful. Power level in a game that's about story isn't as disconcerting to me as um, sort of breaking the theme. You know, Changeling the Dreaming has a vastly different theme than Vampire the Masquerade. Yes. when you mix those things together, you get a different theme too. And if you add in Mage and then you add in Wraith, like, (laughs) you don't have a theme eventually. You just have a circus. Right. You know, and that's not exciting. Um, That's, you know, that's not, I mean, maybe it's exciting to the players who get to have those cool powers that everyone else isn't getting in the group. But for the, you know, it's not telling a cool story. Right. Which I think should be our goal. Um, a, A story that has a theme and mood. So uh on the other hand with Cyber System I you know I don't think that Numenera like Numenera has Numenera has a theme the strange is the theme and they're vastly different you know to me the strange is vastly is way more sort of like action spy thriller
0: yeah um, yeah
1: and Numenera is a little bit more of sort of a dungeon delve survival horror kind of thing yeah but you can mix them pretty well. I mean, a monster from one can really work as a monster from another if you're in a, the right recursion, um, and that's kind of what's cool about the concepts behind the strange. I think is that it's very much wide open if you, you know, wherever you really want to go, and that's I, I think that's incredible.
0: Yeah, I agree. I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing what they do with with both of the lines and how they how they integrate them, if they do at all, that would be cool. Yeah,
1: they said, that, I mean, that was, I think one of the stretch goals was that they would put out a supplement about blending the two.
0: Yeah, yeah. Because
1: there was so much outcry for that. Yeah. I was actually surprised by that. I mean, I, for me, I, I don't need, in my games, because uh, I run a lot of Numenera and Strange, I don't really need to blend the two. It, it isn't an automatic thing for me. But, you know, the monsters are great in that you could move them back and forth. Yeah. Um. So I, you know, it was a little surprising for me they we were they were interested in that because to me the strange is just such a wide open thing that to say oh and also let's <laughs> let's integrate the Numenera in there is a little weird for me yeah. <laughs> like I don't need those two timelines to mix or anything like that I I'm I'm happy to create all the crazy recursions I can come up with
0: Yeah, totally, totally. So you've mentioned, let's see, I think you've mentioned two of your Numenera supplements, uh, Angels and Ashes and Celestial Wisdom. And and there was a third one, right?
1: Yeah, we did. Um, it's called Echoes of the Prior Worlds. And okay. it's the first in a series, we think, um, of essentially, they're called Explorations, and they're attempts to write adventures for people that really leverage the discovery XP system of Numenera. um, Because that is, while it's very simple, um, a very interesting departure from, I think, traditional role-playing games. Mm -hmm. um, In that, I think once you move players away from getting XP for monster killing, which I did a long time ago. I haven't given out XP for monster killing in any game. for I was a teenager last time we did it. But move them away from that. And then also kind of move them away from sort of automatic XP. But then say, okay, look, you get your XP, um, and you, therefore your sort of growth in the character from finding stuff and exploring stuff and seeing all the cool details I've come up with, in addition to your intrusion XP. Um, that, uh, if you try it out of the table, I mean, it, uh, you know, vastly changes the temperament of players. It t- and it therefore changes the direction games go. Um, suddenly, players want to explore. Yeah, and they find ways of justifying it. Um, suddenly, characters are much more uh, discovery based. You know, and I I think that that's you know I mean it, it's an interesting twist. I mean, really you know if you're gonna make a game about exploration. Give people XP for exploring. It, it just makes sense. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, and, and what's crazy is, I mean, like for my players, they, you know, cause the order of truth is this weird version of science, right? Of, mm-hmm. of the scientific community that's religious. And, you know, the things that are known are just so, you know, I mean, if we're talking about a society that's essentially medieval, but then also has some magic and has some tech. And the, it, it's just, open, it is a wide open world for someone to step forward and change the world in terms of the the ideas that people believe, the, the role of science in the world, things like that. And so players, I think, adopt that. If you say this game is about pushing the boundaries of human civilization and, you know, bringing this world into our world's way of thinking in some ways about, you know, objective scientific inquiry and things like that. And I think science... You know, watching you know Neil deGrasse Tyson's show. Oh my you god! Know, you know, <laughs> Cosmos I think science is so great. <laughs> yeah, uh, science is uh, it's cool, and and it's seeing a resurgence. And the scientific method is to some people a religion, and you know, almost. And and to then you know, Numenera says, okay, what if it actually was a religion? What are the problems with that? Um, and that's such a cool thing to explore. And what are the implications on the future of society? Like, I I really want to write about, and I probably won't do a, a supplement on this, but I want to write about what happens when you push this game 50 years or 100 years in the future. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. You know, let your players help you design that. Maybe their last characters. Maybe that's a thing to do at the end when people have, you know, gotten to sixth tier and done a bunch of things. They get to help design 100 years of history of the world. And then you play new characters and try it out in this new world that you've made. Um it's a very empowering setting.
0: Yes, very, very much so. I, I'm like you. Um, even, even uh, before the game was out, and we were just getting the updates from the Kickstarter and whatnot. It's just every little thing just got my imagination just going wild.
1: <laughs> yeah, I could not wait. I mean, I once we got the, um, you know, the the playtest supplements um, or materials, I started running two a week. Um, eventually, you know, I've <laughs> just playtest without a lot of background, you know, I mean, because so many people wanted to play it. Um, and I loved running it. And I mean, it's just so easy to GM. So, yeah, to call back to what we were talking about the, with Echoes, that's what Echoes is. Echoes okay. is, because um, I noticed that I was constantly in need of adventures. And I thought that other GMs would too. And so it's essentially 13 adventures, um, each one page with a one page map on the other side that you could print out. And, you know, and it's got other stuff in there. It's got a few, um, you know, a few descriptors and, and foci. Um, but really, it's there just to serve as, you know, if you're in a pinch, here's a cool exploration, you know, that a player could take you know, or a group can take. And, and, and here's how you would do the, you know, lay it out in terms of exploring. So that's, that's what we've done. I, I wrote it with um, one of my writing partners, Joseph DeSimone. And he really likes to do weird. That's really his, his, where he shines. I'm more about making things. I'm more about sort of convenience for the GM and coming up with a a cool premise. He's more about like really embellishing on the crazy stuff. Um, And so I, I really like working with him. And we have fiction by him in the new book. In Angels and Ashes, awesome. uh, four pieces of fiction. So it's yeah, his stuff gets really weird, and that's what's really keeping the weird in there. And he really drives us to to keep it weird, you know.
0: Well, when I uh, when I get back to Indiana, I have uh, all my boxes of all of, all of my uh, notes and books from when I got my anthropology degree, and I'm thinking about doing some setting stuff, taking some of those brown areas on the map and fleshing those out with some weird cultures and bizarre people.
1: <laughs> that's really cool. Yeah. I mean, I think, I, I think sometimes GMs really need it, you know, and that's what I see our role sometimes as for third party developers is, uh, what's that thing that the GM just doesn't have time to come up with? Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or at least the thing that they can, they can base a whole adventure on just one little idea, um, or even a series of adventures. That's, that's our role is to, you know, spend the time to think it out, come up with something crazy and weird and and interesting um, to make players think. Because um, that's what's great is that I think the Numenera players really want to be challenged in terms of surprises and crazy ideas, and then they can take those ideas and run with them. And you know, we're, I think our community is really open-minded and fun, and so I think that's really cool. As a as a developer, we really can can go as weird as we want to go.
0: Yeah, and I think one of the the really cool things you can do with Numenera is you can um, kind of get people to think about their preconceptions because you can set something up where your players maybe make an assumption and then you turn it on its head and oh, uh, yeah. turns it's out their like- assumption was totally wrong.
1: I'm not I'm not great at the table at doing it, but I love it. I love a good twist. Yeah. Um, you know, especially when they say out loud what they think is really going on. Ah, oh, that's never going to be what it really is. Once they say it out loud, <laughs> And I never let them, you know. Never let them have the satisfaction.
0: <laughs> uh, so, what led yeah. to you deciding to uh, bite the bullet and write your own Numenera supplement the first time?
1: Well, I mean, to be honest, I, um, you know, over the summer, uh, just before Numenera came out. Uh, like, you know, that year, obviously, they had done the Kickstarter, and I'd been playtesting. Um, I, would, I was playtesting so much that it was clear that I loved the setting too much not to get involved. And so I started to write fan content, um, you know, lots of foci and things, just, just weird stuff. And, you know, once once the community sort of developed on Google+, Plus and places, I... You know, started posting those things and and tried to be, you know, I just wanted to be part of the community and try and create stuff. And I realized that there weren't a lot of other people creating those things. And then when the license came out, um, it was clear that I wanted to be involved. That there was there was space for me to do that. And it was really encouraging. I you know, just coincidentally, my local game store owner was one of a couple of places that bought. The level of Kickstarter for Numenera to have Monty Cook and Sean Germain come out and visit. Oh, cool! So they came to my local game store and we played with them. Um, you know, <laughs> me and my friends played under their their game, and um, that was amazing. I mean, that finally brought role playing games to my level. You know, where I you know, development to sort of like um, to realize that they were real people. You know. Finally, because I've you know I've never been to Gen Con or anything. Um, of course, I'm going this year. Now that we're moving to Indiana, <laughs> just like you are.
0: Yeah, uh, <laughs>
1: we'll see you out there.
0: We'll be neighbors. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. <laughs>
1: um, but you know, I I always wanted to be a, a developer, but I never really it never seemed attainable. But this confluence of the license and you know creative commons and, and being able to do home publishing type stuff and drive through RPG itself, all of this stuff together with having met them and realizing that, you know, these are real people and we can, I, I, you know, that's a career path that can be taken. Um, uh, kind of, you know, let me realize that I could do it. And so I, I jumped on board as fast as I could, bought the first license. And I think we wrote celestial wisdom in two and a half weeks. Wow. Um, and just came out with it as fast as I could because um, I just wanted to be the first out the gate.
0: Well, I am so jealous that you got to play Numenera with uh, Monty and Shauna. Just, I'm so jealous.
1: <laughs> but, well, it, what's funny is, so I was at the table with Shauna, and um, I was terrible. I it was the worst, <laughs> the worst playing I've ever done. I, I, you know, I had friends there, and they were really out role playing me. <laughs> you know, and my wife was there, and I was just like. Oh well, <laughs> I guess I guess I'm more of a GM. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Well, I uh, I went to Gen Con years ago when it was still in Milwaukee, and um, this was when I I was playing or running Changeling, and uh, I played a game run by Ian Lemke, who was the guy who wrote Changeling. Wow! And. Um, that's that's why I'm so jealous that you that you got to to play with them because I learned so much just watching him run the game and how he ran it. I just learned so much of this kind of esotericness about the game and and how it's meant to be run um, and and I can't even really put into words what I learned from him but it, it definitely informed like all my storytelling I did after that was was playing that game. And and it was pretty funny because it was pre generated characters and and I don't know how much you know about changeling but but I ended up playing a red cap, which is a <laughs> character I would never play by choice. It's just not the kind of thing I would normally play. And I just uh, hammed it up to, to the ultimate and ended up uh, they they had everybody at the table vote for like the best role player and um and I got I got the best role player award. And uh-huh. I was most proud of that because I was playing a character that, I mean, it was like actual role playing for me because I would never, ever choose to play that character normally. It was like night and day from the type of character I normally play.
1: You know, I I, I think that that's actually where we role play the best is when we play, you know, concepts that are that are outside of our comfort zone. Because otherwise, sometimes yeah. you're just playing yourself. And uh, right? so, you know,
0: <laughs> Yep. I've played so many different versions of myself in role-playing games.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think I think that's the intuitive thing to do, right? You know, I mean, especially like with LARP, uh, you know, people always their first character is just themselves. It always seems like, (laughs) but it and and really for me, I'm always just exaggerating some feature of my personality, um, and that's really what I'm playing. (laughs) But you know, when you when you're forced to play something totally outside of that zone, that's when you really have to stretch it, and you really kind of learn about. I mean, how creative we can all be. You know?
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um,
1: do you want to talk about... I I actually have some information about the, our next book coming out.
0: Yeah, that would be um, great. Let's so we've sent off the it.
1: paperwork, um, and they've gotten the money, but we haven't gotten the countersigned contract. So I don't know for sure that the, the title is going to be what it is, but generally this is fine. You know, generally they don't have a problem with my titles. <laughs> um, so tentatively it's going to be called Whisper Campaigns and um, the premise of our supplement is essentially court in the ninth world Um, it's an attempt at really detailing sort of noble houses knighthoods and how these things are changed in a world that is weird and futuristic and still medieval um and there's going to be a real focus on intrigue and political. So this is, this is going back to my roots in white wolf, really. Very cool. Um, in particular vampire, um, where we want to sort of help people, you know, find that. Cause I've had a few of my, you know, I mean, I'm always getting my friends to play and, and some of my friends are like, well, I, I don't know if I want to play a dungeon crawler, which is what they sometimes stereotype, uh, Numenera as where it's, you know, you're going into the ruins and finding cool stuff. Okay. Um, and I really think Numenera can be more than that. I think it can be a game in which you have all of the same ups and downs and details and that you find in in a political game or uh, you know all kinds of different genres. So I'd like to sort of detail that, detail nobility, um, and uh, and really kind of look at at um, the military as well. Um, I'm going to try and write a system for uh, massive scale combat. Um, not that Numenera has a lot of people in it, <laughs> it's not very well populated, <laughs> so they're still only in the thousands probably in terms of armies, but you know mass combat and uh, siege and things like that I think could, could be a, a lot of fun with a nice loose mechanical system, so we're going to try and develop that and develop some really cool, weird families, we, we came up with um, you know uh, concepts for some houses um, so really, really excited about this
0: very cool. Um, I'm working
1: again with um my co-author, uh Jordan Marshall, um, who helped me write uh, Angels and Ashes. Um and it's likely our friend uh Joseph De Simone who helped me write uh you know, who's my co-author on Echoes, um and who wrote fiction on uh, Angels and Ashes will also be uh potentially uh writing some fiction for us on this one as well. So nice big, you know, production just like this last one, where we're really getting into some details and, and uh and fun mechanics.
0: Very cool. Push,
1: you know, pushing some boundaries.
0: I, I am really looking forward to see some knighthoods other than the Angulan knights. <laughs> me too. I,
1: I think the Angulan knights are really interesting, but
0: yeah, they're, uh, <laughs> they're great adversaries. It just bothers me. Yeah. I've seen so many people like treat them like they're this noble knighthood and they're like the heroes of the story. I'm like, no, no, no they're, they're not. <laughs> they're horrible.
1: <laughs> they, they kill mutants. They're yeah. the KKK
0: yeah exactly
1: <laughs> you know they're racist uh no i think they're fascinating and i think that the shedrakes are really fascinating but you know it's not they i yeah i don't want them as the end all and being all a, be all of knighthoods and so i'd love to present a few other ideas and right we've come up with some crazy ones so th- it should be a lot of fun
0: very cool it, it almost seems like there should be a knighthood that's almost a reaction to the Angulan Knights. <laughs> like, look, we're going to show you what a knight really is. <laughs> right. We're going to defend the weak, not drown them in wells, you know.
1: <laughs> right. I Angulan Knights are really interesting, though, because they, they really are humanists. Right. They're literally humanists. <laughs> right. So they do, I mean, you know, they believe in science and truth and technology and the advancement of civilization, and they'll help you if you do those things. Yeah. And they'll kind of side with you if you're kind of, you know, if you're a visitant. They'll help you you know, they're not gonna like kill you in the street, but, <laughs> but they're still dicks. Yeah. You know, I think it's it's a hilarious take on the paladin, right? Like right. the paladin's the, right. the classical jerk right. at the table. They found another way you know, even though there's no alignments, we've found another way to have jerks.
0: Yeah. I, I see a lot but, of parallels with the uh with the Inquisition as well.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I I mean the the game is really good at sort of saying, "Well, history repeats itself. Right. Here's a new, a new way f- for oppression to happen, or <laughs> things like that."
0: Yeah, and uh, and you know the the whole thing of like killing mutants. It's like, well, really, we're all mutants, you know? It's like, where do you draw that line of, well, this person's a human and this person's a mutant? Sure, and, so and maybe that's
1: You know, that's the interesting thing if you if you've got one at the table, because I, I really think I would like to see them played more in that that's got to be a struggle for a player, right? I right. Mean, for, and for the character um, to really... Because, I mean, who at the table is... I mean, how many of their allies are going to fit that perfect human mold for them? Right. Um, so, you know, that's going to be a struggle, and they're going to have, you know, a Vargellan friend who actually is, uh, you know, a noble person in their own right, and how can they not grant respect to that Vargellan or whatever?
0: Yeah. Uh-huh. That'd be a great uh, arc for a character: is play an Angulan knight who slowly over time comes to see the error of his ways. That would be absolutely.
1: Fun. And that's why I like them. I think they're flawed. I mean, are they really, really, they should be in there. I don't want perfect knighthoods. I don't want absolutely. I mean, you know, perfect paragons of virtue are boring. Let's make them right. <laughs> you know, messed up because they've got you know people with strong convictions are always eventually. You know, pushing it a little too far for the rest of us. So I think right. that they they simulate that pretty well.
0: Well, it's almost like a like a kind of insanity once once you you're you're so convinced.
1: <laughs> right. Well, and then the Angulans are so. I mean, they get to ride dragons, right? Right. So clearly, and the dragons decided that they had they made a deal. So clearly, you know, from their perspective, they've been they've been given the go ahead to keep doing this because you know these great beasts who are. Probably really intelligent. Also think that what they're doing is right. So you know, I, you can imagine they must be get really you know pious and indignant about what they're doing. <laughs>
0: right. So let's let's talk a little bit more about um, Angels and Ashes. Would Would you like to go over a little bit of, of what the book contains? Yeah, absolutely. Because there's a lot in there.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah. So um, basically, yeah, it's a, it's our biggest book. Um it's really, you know, like I said it's a it's a arcane take on nanotechnology. Um and it you know, my friends uh had kind of told me they were interested in more vancian type magics. You know, they want a nano to feel like a nano. And and I understand that the book is not just for nanos, it's very much about stuff for everybody. Okay. But um it, yeah, it's in no way just a nano thing. It's just that, you know, they also use nanotech. Um, so, it's... People wanted that. And so my thought was, okay, well, let's take the cipher system. And let's say, okay, instead of a physical cipher, you get a glyph that's on a wall. And you can absorb that into your mind and cast it. And it's going to be styled a little differently. It's going to have an arcane flavor when it comes out. And you know, you can't transfer it to your friends very easily, because it's in your brain. Uh, But it still has the advantages of ciphers, which is, as a system, ciphers are great. They're a random power. Because we see this all the time, right, in Vantian-type systems, where somebody gets that one power, that one spell, and that's all they're going to memorize, because it's so powerful. Right. And so the advantage of cipher system, and it's clearly been designed this way, is to be like, well, you can give your players a really cool power, but you give it to them once, and they They have to pick the right moment to do it. And that's when they get to be a hero as opposed to just being, oh, well, this is my shtick. I always use the invisibility spell, Right. you know, it's okay. I have an invisibility power. I get to use once let's make it work. And so that's challenging intellectually and it makes it so the moment is more dramatic and things like that. So my idea was, you know, let's take that drama and apply it to arcane stuff. You know, which is what, in some ways, the cyber system was already simulating. So we just extended that and made, you know, made a separate system. And, and it made it a little different, where, you know, it wasn't random levels. And so it's, it's a very different way of doing it, if you sort of look at it. Um, and then on top of that, my thought was, I mean, schools of magic are cool. Let's reference those. Like, to me, you know, D&D actually didn't handle schools of magic that great. I mean, what, you know, what is being an abjurer? Right. Like what 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 does that mean? Right. How is that a thing in the world, a school? Like, <laughs> you know? I mean it makes sense kind of, you know, from sort of a real mechanical idea of how magic might work, but would they have a community? Would there, would it be as iconic as a necromancer? Right. Probably not. So let's you know, our idea was let's pick like ten broad themes, subdivide those each in two. So we've got like twenty and actually, really, it ends up being 22 different ways of being tied to magic. And these are foci so that you can, you know, even if you're not a nano, you can have it. So you can be a glaive who's casting certain types of magic. In. And certainly, they have a lot of fun, actually, at the table. Um, you know, I had a glaive who creates chaos. And so, you know, we have a focus just for sort of chaos magic where you're, you know, corrupting the, um, the code within the nanites around you and so they create random effects and that also allows you to sort of interact with the iron wind. And so, you know, that was a lot of fun for a glaive. She essentially got to play, you know, a nano in a way. She was just a very particular type of nano, you know, one who was strong and capable in a fight and and created chaos. That, you know. So that that was a lot of fun. I mean, each of those is a different culture she was involved in you know the specific culture of those who create chaos within the larger you know mystery she was involved in which is what we call her equivalent of schools of magic um and so you know we've really you know uh, dug down into what where the place in the world of each of these people are um and really sort of got to twist it around make it very different so our take of on sort of like druids for instance are um, you know part of the mystery of nature there's two sides to it and they're these are essentially just people who manipulate um uh terraforming nanites in the world and so some of them are the seekers of balance and some of them are the seekers of paradise so the seekers of balance are sort of a more traditional nature loving sort of uh you know environmentalist essentially um take on on sort of nature magic and then the others are people who are using the nanotech to create regions of paradise while at the same time creating regions of pollution and destruction somewhere else and so they're a take on industrialization and these two groups are using the same nanotech and and therefore the same practices of magic in order to evoke it and therefore they're you know and they're sort of derived from the same scholars and so they have to exist as a community together in order to develop their magic while at the same time being sort of rivals in terms of what they're doing to the world. Um, So we've done that, you know, 10 times essentially with different kinds of interesting situations and strange ways of delving into how these people are are dealing with their nanotech and what they've really specialized in. And then each of these uh, mysteries uh, also possesses what we're calling charms, which are like really minor magics that you get access to when you're in the mystery. Okay. So each mystery has ten charms um, that you can have if you're willing to spend some XP or develop the right skills. And those are just little magic spells and that allows you to play a more fleshed out sort of wizard concept, I think. Um Arcane caster concept. And it, that really gives, uh you know, because the, the focus only has six powers usually, most of them Six or seven powers total. So, you know, this gives a lot more, like, little powers that really should be there that just aren't. Um, and I, we found that players really enjoy having those little things to be able to add a little bit of business to, to their role-playing.
0: Very cool. So do you have any um, particular inspirations that, that uh, have occurred to you, um, either just playing Numenera in general or... Coming up with your supplements, whether they're books or movies or anything like that.
1: Yeah, I mean, certainly in this last book, I was deriving a lot of ideas from Neal Stephenson's *Diamond Age*, um, which is a, a book about nanotech, um, which I, you know I read years and years and years ago. And it, what's funny is I always had, um, I always had this idea that there should be a magic based on nanotech. And, you know, here and there, games would implement those kinds of things. And then when I heard about it, about, you know, the Numenera was going to have that as the basis of their version of the Arcane. Um, that was what <laughs> grabbed me <laughs> for the for Numenera itself. And so I always knew that this book needed to be made, you know, for me, um, once we started making books, was, you know, I need to be able to uh, express all these ideas I have <laughs> um, about... Uh, You know, sort of, what would magic be through the lens of nanites? Um, So that's sort of the most recent stuff that's been inspiring me. Um, All of these books, I think, have a lot of... They draw from science fiction um, for me. You know, Celestial Wisdom was very much like, you know, sort of the William Gibson um, cyberpunk type stuff, which I used to play. I mean, cyberpunk is my second game um, after D&D. So, um, you know... I, I really think that you have to look to fiction uh to to get ideas to really flavor these things. Otherwise it I think it falls flat if you don't have new ideas constantly bubbling up and new takes on these these things.
0: So I'm curious, have you seen the show Um Revolution? I haven't. Oh really? No. Oh. I'm I'm not sure if that? I would really recommend the show or not. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's kind of um It's very cliche. It's very melodramatic. Um, They're just like every episode. There are multiple just roll your eyes kind of moments where it's like that would never happen. Um, But but they do some some really cool things um, in the second season with uh, with nanotech. That's that's kind of interesting where it, it does almost seem like magic. And some people do think it's magic, but it's this nanotech just going crazy.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, nanotech is a great explanation for magical things, especially if you're going to say it's a billion years in the future. I mean, it could be anything. It doesn't have to be the sort of, you know, Buckminster fullerene type stuff that we're imagining right now. I mean, it could easily be something using elements we don't know yet and things like that. So it, there's no reason things couldn't be incredibly magical. Um, and that's what I think is most exciting about it. Um, and so, you know, you can do, I guess, more hand waving is what I like yeah. about it. I mean, if you were to do it, you know, I've thought about doing a biotech book. Um, it would be hard to do hand waving with biotech, you know. You would, you really do need to know a little bit about mutation and, and biology. Um, well, if so, you need
0: any help with that, let me know. <laughs> I work in biotech, so <laughs> oh,
1: like Bruce Cordell, huh?
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: um, yeah. I mean, boy, I think that I think that. Uh, no, seriously, um, we need. Uh, a biotech supplement so if you ever want to put one together boy i could help you i'd love to okay have something
0: that'd be a fun collaboration
1: (laughs) yeah definitely I yeah that'd be cool definitely
0: well that's one thing that's so awesome about numenera is there are so many places that you can look for inspiration um i I finally got around to watching the new thor movie last night and oh yeah i'm watching like the battle in asgard versus the dark elves and i'm like oh my god this is science fantasy (laughs)
1: No, I, it, well, especially. I mean, it's so literally so when she goes in there, uh, they're looking at what was it the 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 disease thing that's inside of her. It's actually the what was it the crystal? Oh, the whatever, ether. Whatever. Right, and she's she's like, oh, you're doing a quantum scan device, right? You know, <laughs> like it was just so obvious. like it was literally science fantasy. Like the yeah, <laughs> I just love the the Asgardians. You know, to them, yeah. I mean, this is magic technology. It's all the same thing, but. Why is there a difference? <laughs> yeah, that was beautiful in that book. I mean, in that movie, uh, love that.
0: Kind of remind me of He-Man.
1: <laughs> yeah, it did. Actually, it's much better than the He-Man movies. Yeah, definitely.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, Ryan, um, where can uh, the listener go to find these books that you've put out?
1: Well, Drive Through RPG is the primary way of doing it i don't have an exclusive contract with them um and they also posted on rpg now um but it, it, you know i put some of my stuff up on uh on scribd but just in general drive rpg is really the place to go i think for anybody for for uh for digital uh and print-on-demand role-playing games so that's what we're sticking with for the most part
0: very cool very cool So, um, would you like to share any of your, like, Twitter, website, blog, anything like that with the listeners?
1: You know, I'm not doing a website right now. Um, but on Twitter, I'm Chaddock R, C H A D D O C K R. Um, and people can always email me at Ryan Chaddock dot or Ryan Chaddock at gmail dot com. Um, and I, you know, I'm always on Google Plus and, uh, and facebook and twitter just constantly all day um (laughs) often answering you know questions about myself yeah um so it's a lot of i don't know i get a lot of back and forth with people so it's a lot of fun sort of helping people out um
0: awesome awesome well i will make sure and link all that in the show notes so people can find it yeah thanks well thanks so much for for coming on the show ryan um Sorry that uh, it took so long to get you on here. This this uh, should have been done a long time ago.
1: <laughs> no, but I'm just happy to be here. <laughs> it's a, yeah, I think this is a you know, this was the right time to do it. I think this was the right book to to really talk to people about. So thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah, and you know, next time you've got something else on the horizon, definitely let me know, and we can have you back.
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely. I'd love to be
0: back. Awesome, man. Well, well. thanks so much for the interview. I really appreciate it. GM Intrusions Wrap-Up Time to wrap up episode 24 of GM Intrusions. If you would like to reach me, feel free to email me at lexstarwalker at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at lexstarwalker. And thanks again, Ryan, for the great interview. You can follow him on Twitter at Chattic R. That's C H A D D O C K R. I will also have that in the show notes for you. Please uh, go check out our show notes on the website at starwalkerstudios.com slash GM intrusions. Uh, GM intrusions now has a voicemail. You can call and leave me a message. Uh, you could uh, give me an idea or a submission for the antagonist and protagonist's uh hand uh hand me a GM intrusion or just say hi or whatever you want to do with the voicemail. Give me a call. It's six two six Lex GMI1. That's six two six L E X GMI one or six two six five three nine four six four one. And if you have something to say about Numenera or The Strange, and you'd like to be a guest on the show, let me know. I'm always looking for more future interviews. And I'd like to thank all of my wonderful patrons, all the great patrons of GM Intrusions. Couldn't do it without you guys and gals. Thank you very much. And you can check out the Patreon page at P A T R E O n.com slash gmintrusions. Also another great way you can help out the show and help me out is to leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get the podcast. Definitely helps new people find the show. And finally, I want to remind everyone to enter the GM Intrusions listener appreciation contest. I am going to start selecting winners uh, sometime in the next week or so. So your window of opportunity is quickly closing. So all you have to do is go to the website, go to episode 18, Love and Sex in the Ninth World, leave a comment on episode 18 in the form of a GM intrusion, and that will be your entry in the contest. And the winners will be chosen randomly. And there will be three winners, each of which will receive a $25 discount code for the Monty cook games web store good for any Monty cook games print product and thank you again so much to Monty cook games for your generous donation of those prizes and finally i am still doing the gm intrusion survey you can find a link to that in the show notes i'm just asking how you find the podcast and finally it's time for our intrusion I would like to thank Mr. Brian Hahn for this intrusion. It was one of uh, the the entries for the contest, and that's uh, one of the things that I'm going to be doing with those intrusions is using them on the show. I'm also going to compile them and put them on the website for you guys. So this is a great example of how you can tailor a GM intrusion to fit a specific player and what he likes. So, Brian used this intrusion with one of his teenaged players after he presented the GM intrusion. The player totally felt it would be appropriate for his character so this took place in a combat situation, and the heroes were fighting a very attractive young female who was quite good with her staff as she spun around to avoid an attack, she smiled at our hero with a and Gave him a glance that said, You've got some skill there. He smiled back with a boosted ego and a distracted mind from the flirty young female and was caught off guard by the bandit behind him and took a blow to the head that knocked him prone. So thanks again for that intrusion, Brian. That's, that's really great. And, uh, I'm, I'm sure that was a lot of fun at the table. And again, I want to thank all of you for listening and supporting the show in the many, many ways that you guys support the show and make it the awesome uh, bit of cypher goodness that it is. And uh, I just thank you for listening. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you again next week. So once again, I am Lex Starwalker, and this has been a GM Intrusion. This has been a Starwalker Studios production. Your source for quality science fiction and fantasy podcasts. This episode's music provided by Ish, Cloudwalker, Renfield, and Transboy. Please see the show notes for more details at starwalkerstudios.com. I'm awesome!